And uh, I'd like you to open with me in your Bibles this morning to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12, 13, and 14 this morning. For those of you that are just joining us, we've been studying uh, this letter of Paul that he wrote to this church um, located kind of uh, inland and to the east from Ephesus in that uh, Eurasia area, place called the Lycus Valley. You may not have heard of Colossae, but you've probably heard of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those were three towns that were very close together in the Lycus River Valley, about 100 miles or so interior. And uh, a man by the name of Epaphras had helped to plant these churches. And now the churches are in trouble. Uh, They've got some false teaching going on. And Paul is writing a letter to kind of help uh, his friend and colleague Epaphras bring some correction to the false teaching. This morning, in verses 12, 13, and 14, we're actually in a transition. Paul has introduced himself in the letter. He has explained to the people how he's praying for them. And we've been studying that prayer in some depth. Now, having said that, he makes kind of a summary statement of their salvation experience. That's what verses 12, 13, and 14 are. They're kind of a summary statement of their salvation experience as he moves into reminding them of the pure truth of the gospel. And the very first thing that he is going to do is focus on the supremacy, the majesty the unique glory of Jesus Christ as the author of salvation. And he's going to make clear in their minds who Jesus is. That, uh, you know, almost any time we start to clarify the gospel, we have to come back to that point. Who is Jesus? And what does he represent? What is his message? Who is he? And that's what Paul was about to do. But this morning, we're going to occupy our attention with this summary, transitional uh, kind of uh, collection here in these three verses where Paul says, if you look with me in verse 12, Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sin. Don't you think that's a good summation of what has happened to us in Jesus Christ? He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, for He delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His own dear Son, having given us redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That's, that's true of every follower, believer in Jesus Christ. That is what has happened to us. Now, I ran out of time in the 8 o'clock service, so I'm going to speed preach this morning. Because I've got a lot of stuff I want to say, and, and I want to get it all in, and I want to keep my commitment to end on time this morning. So bear with me and hang in there with me, and uh, we're hopefully going to get through this. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning on that second kind of phrase where he says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. But there's four elements in this in this summary. 
The first one is that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. I just want to pause long enough to clarify why we're Christians this morning. Why are we Christians? Why are we on our way to God's heavenly kingdom? Why have we been transformed? Why are we saved people? It is because God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Our salvation is God's doing. This is, this is the amazing truth of His love for us. John 3.16 expresses it so succinctly. For God so loved the world that He gave. And God Himself is the offended party. He is the holy God who, who dwells in unapproachable light. That's His nature and His purity and His holiness. He is the one whom we offended because of Adam's sin and, and our inheritance of that defect in our character. We too have become sinners like Adam. And we have all like sheep gone astray. We've gone to our own way. In fact, the Bible says that we are so much in darkness and rebellion before we come to Christ that we're not even looking for God. And God Himself has established the criteria. He says, the soul that sins must die. For the wages of sin is death. He is the one who has been offended. His holiness has been offended. And sinfulness requires eternal separation But God provided a remedy. And that remedy was Jesus Christ, who went to the cross in our place, bore our punishment, accepted our penalty. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And in that marvelous transaction, God established the criteria. His offense was fully satisfied. Terry did such a Tremendous job a couple of weeks ago explaining that propitiation. That Jesus satisfied the requirements, the wrath of God. God said, this is the criteria upon which I will accept you. Come to my Son. Accept the payment that He has made. Surrender your life to Him. Make Him Lord and Savior and Master of your life. He will transform you and I will accept His payment and set you free. And then furthermore, because we didn't even know enough to do that, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came seeking for us. As the Gospel was preached and the Holy Spirit moved upon our hearts, our eyes were opened to see the truth. God opened that window of opportunity and gave us the capacity to believe and has therefore qualified us by His own doing to become inheritance along with the saints in light. We are believers this morning because God loved us and saved us. Isn't that marvelous? Praise God for the marvelous position that we have this morning in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, I want to explain to you what really happened when that transaction took place. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, there are two words here that should stand out to you. The first one is domain and kingdom. The second one is kingdom. Domain and kingdom. We're talking here about realms of authority. 
This morning we're meeting in this church in McHenry, Illinois, which is a state in the United States of America. And we exist under the laws of the state of Illinois and the governance of the United States of America. This is a, this is a domain. It has a structure. It has authority. Um, we have a president. We have a legislative branch. We have a judicial branch. We have local police officers. We have a military that protects the borders of our nation. We live in a domain this morning. We have, we have privileges because we're citizens and we also have responsibilities. And if we violate those, there is a domain that will bring us to justice. There is a way of bringing us under the authority of this nation in which we live. We're not totally autonomous. We live in a, in a domain. There's also the, the concept of kingdom. We have a couple in our church that uh, work uh, with uh, a, an aircraft firm in uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia, as you may know, is a kingdom. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's a kingdom. It has a king. And the king owns Saudi Arabia. Did you know that? The king owns Saudi Arabia. It's his. belongs to him and to the royal family. And um, he is the one who decides, along with his family consultants and whatever, he is the one who decides what goes on there. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, Dewey was sharing with me one time. He was on a trip somewhere, and they were driving along, and he looked out and he saw thousands and thousands of brand new pickup trucks. And whoever he was riding with, uh, who, who was Saudi, he said to him, what are all those trucks? They'd come in on the ships, you know. What are all those trucks doing out there? Well, we had a great oil year this past year, and the king decided to take some of his money, because it's his oil, and buy new trucks for a lot of people. So if you qualified under his criteria, you could go and get a brand new pickup. The king was going to give it to you. Because it's a kingdom. And he decides what goes. He's the one in authority. He's... He's the one who rules that domain. Kings are people who have sovereign control over a nation or, or whatever. The concept that's being presented here to us is that there are domains or kingdoms that exist in the spiritual realm. They are represented by respective authorities. They have rules that govern their dominion. And the people who live in those domains come under that authority structure and those rules and those principles. Now, having said that, one of the things we need to recognize in a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview, is that these kingdoms have no geographical boundaries. You can look at a world globe and you can define the, the, the geographical boundaries of the United States and reach out into the Pacific and draw a circle around Alaska and go up and draw a line around uh, Hawaii's out there. Alaska's up there. You know what I meant. Uh, you can, you can I, I really do know my geography. <laughs> Funny things happen when you preach sometimes, though. You, your brain gets ahead of your tongue and strange stuff comes out. But anyway... We can define that geography. You can go to Saudi Arabia. You can draw a line around Saudi Arabia. We know where that is. 
We know where all the other 200-something countries of the world are. We can draw lines around their boundaries. They are geographically bounded. But the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light has no geographical boundary. It is represented by a, a realm of authority and power and dominion that the people who belong to those respective kingdoms are under that rule and authority and influenced by those systems. And the Scripture says that all over the world, in every nation of the world, perhaps, certainly in many of them, we can find people who belong to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We can also find people, the majority of people according to Scripture, who belong to the domain of darkness. And according to the Scripture, that domain of darkness is ruled by the prince of the powers of the air, whom we also call Satan, and by his demonic powers and influence. If you look back a couple of pages to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he sort of describes that for us in Ephesians chapter 2. You'd like to just turn back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul describes our condition before coming to Christ, this is what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead means not alive to God doesn't mean that we weren't breathing and walking around, but we were dead with respect to God and the life of God. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, who are the sons of disobedience? Everyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says that everyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ is being acted upon by a spirit that is working among them. And that spirit is defined as the prince of the powers of the air. The Bible refers to it another way in the Corinthian letter when it says Satan is the God of this earth. Small g, not capital G. And the whole world lies in the dominion of the evil one. And he influences the people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Now, our attitude toward unbelievers should not be militant. I've painted somewhat of a militant picture. But our attitude toward unbelievers should not be militant. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. He said this to his disciples. Therefore, as you go, make disciples from among all the nations. Teach them. Teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. So Jesus said, your mission when you come into the light is to take the light back into the darkness. And in a spirit of love and compassion, because God loves the world, 
bring that message of freedom in Christ to the lost world living in darkness, make disciples of them, and teach them what I've told you. But until that happens, the whole world lies in the evil one. And they're being influenced by the prince of the power of the air that works among them. Verse 3 of Ephesians 2, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, Paul says, unbelievers who are not following Jesus Christ are affected and influenced by the lust of the flesh and of the mind. We tend to want to look at people without Christ and sometimes people with Christ who should know better. We tend to want to look at them and say, well, they, they have these uh, sinful desires and passions but their, their mind, they should be able to reason their way to truth. Because they have good minds. The Bible says that is not true. Their minds are affected. Their thinking is flawed. Their logic is inconsistent. Because according to Scripture, it is a domain of darkness. They cannot see. You remember my illustration about putting the 1,500-piece jigsaw puzzle together in the dark? You know, the world is described as trying to make sense out of life by feeling the parts. They can't see it. They cannot see the color. They can't see where it belongs. They might be able to separate an edge piece now and again by feel. They might even be able to rub their thumb over it and tell if it's upside down or right side up. But they, and every once in a while, they will by luck get two pieces together. And everybody cries, Eureka! New discovery! And they still got a table full of pieces. They don't even know the table's there. They can't see. They're blind. This is the description of people without Jesus Christ. It's not that they just have bad impulses. They have flawed thinking. And so Paul says that what God has done for us, back to Colossians, what God has done for us is He has transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, where there is light and illumination. Now, I printed out a quote for you from Douglas Moo in his commentary on Colossians. I thought this was a particularly good and succinct way of saying this. People who have not been rescued by God in Christ live in a power structure that is characterized by the forces of chaos, evil, and judgment. They live in a power structure that is characterized by the forces of chaos, evil, and judgment. Jesus said... In John 8, 12, 
The one who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what difference does all this make? It should sober us. It should awaken us. And we used to have in, uh, in emergency medicine um, what was called maintaining a high index of suspicion. Whenever we went to, for example, the scene of a car accident, and you looked at the vehicles, and they were just demolished. And uh, the passenger compartment had been majorly invaded by torn metal and whatever. And, uh, you know, there was a person kind of walking around in a daze. You know, and, and they're upright, and they're walking, and, and they tell you their name, and they say, uh, you know, I was driving that car. And you look at that and say, how did you ever get out of that in the first place? But you maintain a high index of suspicion, meaning you do not assume what you see at face value is the truth. There is a high probability of serious internal injury, and this person needs careful evaluation, and you need to continue to reassess that person for a good period of time because suddenly things can change drastically and deteriorate rapidly unless you're right on top of any sign of internal injury. That's the high index of suspicion. Things are not the way they appear. So be on the lookout for the hidden disaster. The domain of darkness that populates the world outside of Christ is a domain that we believers are supposed to view with a high index of suspicion. We need to evaluate everything. We need to be people of the book who assess and scrutinize every idea, every thought that's presented, every uh, plan and, and motive of men. We need to find out, is this true or not? And we have a standard. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us to illuminate us, but He uses the Word as part of His illuminating activity. He gives us the capacity to read the Scriptures with understanding that enlighten our minds. Now, I want to remind you that what Paul is dealing with at Colossians is primarily bad ideology, bad thinking. False teachers have come in with wrong ideas. And you say, well, what's the harm in that? I mean, people got saved, didn't they? Didn't they get their sins forgiven? Aren't they going to heaven? Aren't they Christians? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that as a person thinks in their heart, so they behave. The Scripture says that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the Bible tells us very plainly that the starting place of the battle for 
righteous and godly living is in the mind. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God and be an effective living sacrifice. One who lives for Christ and is devoted to Him. Allow the transformation of your mind to Christ-like thinking control your behavior. Because what you believe is true will govern your actions in every case. And we have become people of light who should be able to see through the darkness and confusion and chaos that is out there. But oftentimes that is not true of us because we have not allowed the light of Christ to illumine our own minds and understanding. Jesus did not say, whoever comes to me for salvation shall have the light of life. In fact, I'm not going to go into that this morning, but... I think there's a lot more to salvation than praying a sinner's prayer. Jesus said, whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Following Christ means embracing Him and His teaching and His truth and His person. We have got to be followers of Jesus Christ who are learners, who are disciples. Teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, which are recorded here, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Train them. This new life in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and illuminated by the Word of God, is the transformation that takes us out of the behavior of the realm of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. Now, what is the realm of darkness characterized by? Well, Douglas Moo says, chaos, evil, and judgment. And some of that we can readily see. I mean, we can easily see uh, criminals dwell in the domain of darkness. People who rape and murder and, and uh, steal and rob and commit armed robbery and carjacking and, and, you know, and gang shootings in the streets of Chicago. I mean, we look at that and we say, okay, that's, that's, clearly, that's clearly the realm of darkness. I can see that. That's obvious to everybody. And then bringing a little closer to home, there are all those deeds of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians. And, and he lists a number of things, including... Uh, addictive behaviors and drunkenness and, and immorality and jealousy and outburst of anger and gossiping and, and devouring each other and, and all of those social ills, you know, that, that go on out there in society. Uh, we don't look at them necessarily as criminal behavior, but we who are children of light do recognize the behavior as stemming from the domain of darkness. We, we can see that pretty clearly. You know, and, and even the world, to a certain extent, can look at that and say, well, 
We have to have remedies for addictions. We have to help people overcome their impulses and because th- these are not healthy behaviors. Even the world has figured some of that out. You know, and, and we should be able to look at that and tell, okay, that's clearly from the domain of darkness. Here's where we get into trouble, and here's where the church is at risk. And this is where the Colossians were at risk. There wasn't somebody coming into the church at Colossae and saying, hey, you know what? You kind of missed it here. Uh, this this Jesus-only business that, that you heard about from Epaphras and this, this righteous living, no, 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 no. No, you, you need to go back to orgies and drunken parties and, 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 and you know, you need to just go back to riotous living and, and that's, that's, the, that's where it's at. I mean, if anybody walked into our church this morning and, and told you that, you would instantly know. You know, they're a nutcase. They're a liar. Get them out of here. We're not listening to that. And the Colossians would have known the same thing. Their problem was not that the false teachers were telling them to do obviously bad things. The danger was that the false teachers sounded pretty good. They were telling them that really what you need is a little more religion. We can help you get a better religion. We can, we can give you more discipline. Oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. We can, we can help you out by letting you know that, well, Jesus isn't really the only one out there. I mean, there are some other helpers you can call on. There's, there's other angelic powers and there's, there's other, other uh, entities that you can get to help you. And, um, you know, we could give you some insight on other ways to gain power in your life. Don't you want power in your life? Don't, don't you want more ability to have self-control? And uh, we can show you how to do that. That's what they were teaching. And, and the thing that Paul is trying to get them to see is Jesus alone uniquely, by himself, is sufficient for salvation and everything pertaining to life and godliness. If you don't recognize it, I'm quoting scripture there. Now, having said that, let me come back to this domain of darkness. There are obvious sins and bad behaviors out there in the domain of darkness. Here's where we fail to recognize the domain of darkness. It permeates our educational system. It permeates our political system. It permeates our health and wellness institutions. It permeates our psychology and mental health beliefs. It permeates the philosophy of raising children and our worth and value in society. The domain of darkness rules the day in the world. 
And we need to maintain a high index of suspicion. The gangbanger thug in Chicago with a loose 9mm is an obvious product of the domain of darkness. The congressman sitting in the Capitol building may be less obvious, but just as deadly. The domain of darkness permeates the culture under the leadership of the God of this world. And the scripture says that the darkness is is total blindness. And friends, one of my great concerns for us today in the church is that we often fail to see the problems that exist in what we hope are good institutions. Any believer who knows their Bible knows not to put their hope in a political system. Anyone who knows their Bible knows that. Because politics, however good or however bad, there is no political system that in and of itself is godly. There are only godly people or ungodly people. And let me be absolutely clear, this is an election year, so you should know this. And you should maintain a high index of suspicion. And when you go to the polls, you should be aware of the fact that when you vote, in all probability, you will be choosing the lesser of evils. Only people who know and follow Jesus Christ. Emphasis on the second clause. Only people who know and follow Jesus Christ will actually have the truth. If they claim to know Christ and they're not paying attention, they're not going to be any more help than the next guy. Only those who know and follow Jesus Christ have the truth. Governments are not godly. People are godly. If there's ever a time of national revival, once again... And the majority of people who sit in the halls of Congress and in the White House and and in the police departments and executive branches of the nation and sit on the Supreme Court and in the offices of the judges, when and if those people love and follow Jesus Christ, there will be for a season godliness in the country. When they don't, it is ruled by the dark kingdom. It is not just communism, as Reagan said, that's the evil empire. They're all evil. They all lie in the evil one. We need to be aware of this. Our hope is not in a political system. We need to be aware in the whole realm of science and medicine and and, and mental health particularly that our hope does not lie ultimately in the sciences. I'm not opposed to science. But we need to recognize that the truth lies in Jesus Christ and in His Word. And whenever some discovery comes up out there that is at odds with this book, guess who's right? 
Those who live in the kingdom of His beloved Son in the light know the truth is here. Most of our mental health fields today are, are guided and influenced by people who are evolutionists who believe in biological determinism. And what I mean by that is, there is no God, there is no human soul. We are simply bodies, products of evolutionary development, who are guided by chemistry. Chemistry rules the day. And our behavior is directed by the chemicals that course through our bodies based on our genetic structure and whatever else. So, uh, for example, when people become serial killers, somebody gets a grant for research to study the brains of serial killers to see what is wrong with their brain. There has to be a defect there. Normal people do not become serial killers. Normal people do not become Adolf Hitlers. Normal people do not become the linens and mousy tongues of the world. Oh, yes, they do. The Scripture says that in the heart of every man there is an unfathomable depth of wickedness that unchecked can rise up. And the truth is, it's not a matter of your genes and your chemistry, it's a matter of choices. Biological determinism says you are not responsible for your behavior you have a chemical imbalance. You're ill. We need to treat you with medicine. And if we treat you with medicine, uh, you will come into conformity with our expectations. The Bible says every human being is 100% responsible for their actions. Someone going out the door of the 8 o'clock service this morning said, what about the Gadarene demoniac? Was he 100% responsible for his actions? You remember the story in the Gospels? He, he didn't wear any clothes because he couldn't keep them on. He was always ripping them off. They'd put him in chains. He'd break the chains. He was gnashing himself and cutting himself. Nobody in our culture does anything like that, but they used to do that back in those days. Yeah, they do, in case you didn't know that. And so they said, what about the Gadarene demoniac? I mean, wasn't, wasn't he, um, you know, what about, the, he was demon-possessed. Was he responsible? How did he get demon-possessed? People do not just stroll down the street whistling some pretty melody, minding their own business, and a demon jumps on their back and takes over their body. They get there because they set a course of sinful behavior that took them to places of darkness where by choice they were exposed to demonic control under whose influence they eventually came. And they are responsible. 
And the Bible holds every human being accountable for behavior. It does not hold, it does not hold us accountable for feelings. I can't find a verse in the Bible that says that I'm responsible for how I feel. My feelings can be influenced by a myriad of things. The Bible does not even say that people don't have chemical imbalances. People do have chemical imbalances in their brains, just like they have heart problems and hypertension and diabetes and, and develop cancer and have other maladies going on in their body. All of those things happen. But we are still responsible people. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, scientists who go about studying these things are guided by an agenda. They start out with a belief system that to one extent or another influences them. There is a genuine effort. I'm not saying that all scientists are bad people by any means. Many of them are well-intentioned, honest, truth-seeking people who have passionately given themselves to their field and want to do their best. And they write their research and publish it in peer-reviewed journals. What I'm saying is, everybody that comes to the table in the system is lying in the realm of darkness. They're putting the puzzle together in the dark. And the peers who review the The material can keep them honest according to the rule, but the bias prevails. They dwell in a land of darkness. And the Scripture says that our attitude should not be militant or hateful or or self-righteous. It's with compassion. We need to be reaching out in love. We're going to get rejection. We're going to get hostility. We're going to, people are going to say, you're idiots. You're ignorant fools. You, you believe a silly book that's hundreds and thousands of years old and you're just stupid. It's because they don't understand the truth. They don't see. Their eyes are blind. We must communicate with them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and prayerfully seek to have the Holy Spirit drop the blinders from their eyes, but they can't see truth. And you and I need to recognize that we live in a world that is under the domain in this moment of time by the prince of the powers of the air, and he is not nice. And his goal is to keep people locked up in the dark. And God has come to redeem us and bring us into the light and help us to see truth. Friends, when we say in our statement of faith, we hold the Bible to be the Word of God, authoritative, inerrant, and infallible, and our final rule for all of faith and life. We're not just whistling Dixie. It is, this is the truth. Human beings are the same as they were in the days Jesus Christ walked the earth. They're the same as they were when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. They have not changed. They don't have new diseases. They don't have, uh, maybe they have some new diseases, but they were viruses and stuff that were here all along. They don't have, uh, it's not like we suddenly discovered the key to bad behavior. Oh, it's a chemical problem. No, it's a sin problem. And the solution is Jesus Christ. 
And the, the denial of personal moral responsibility for behavior is a lie. The truth is we are responsible. And I said in the earlier service, if, if you excuse the behavior of a seven-year-old who punches his teacher and swears at her and says, well, he has a chemical imbalance and, and we have to treat him with drugs. No, you better deal with that behavior because I don't care what's wrong with him. He is capable of acting correctly in that kind of a situation. He is able to be morally responsible. And if you don't hold him accountable, what's going to happen when he's 17? Or 27? And the solution is, well, we're eventually going to have to lock them up and put them away. If they can't ever learn. But poor things, they're sick. They may have problems, but they can learn. And, and, and the whole message of the gospel is, if you're frustrated with yourself because you don't know how to stop your bad behavior, come to Jesus. He is the one who heals all of our diseases. He is the one who forgives our sin. He is the one who transforms our character. In Him we have redemption. I don't have time to expand on these last two points, but suffice it to say that redemption, the whole, the whole story of redemption, is to be rescued and restored to health. It is to have recovery. It is to be healed. And Jesus Christ offers that. He offers healing. And we have the forgiveness of sin. You know, it would be interesting to know how much physical illness in this world and how much Acting out behavior is motivated by guilt. And if people could only come to Jesus and know that they are forgiven, they are freed, they are released, God does not hold any sin to their charge. They are free in Jesus Christ. Wow. In and of itself, a ton of weight. We are redeemed. We have healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to even ask forgiveness for something you don't think you're responsible for. People who've been told, you know what, you can't help how you are, that's how you were born. They don't even know they need a Savior. But for those who are willing to own up to their bad behavior called sin and acknowledge it and come to Jesus, there is healing. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. Friends, this is what God has done for us. He says, joyfully giving thanks. That, that phrase at the end of verse 11 flows into verse 12. Joyfully giving thanks unto God who has qualified us 
to, to live and dwell in that kingdom of the inheritance, the, the inheritance of the saints in light, for he has taken us out of the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And we are now people of the light. Praise his holy name. We are people of the light. Friends, when you go out there this week, listen to the news, watch the TV, pay attention to the ads, look at the billboards, read the license plates and the bumper stickers, and listen to the conversation, and and read the newspaper with a high index of suspicion. Test it against the truth and see how much darkness prevails and how Jesus Christ gives us the capacity to see clearly. We have the hope of the world. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word and your love. Thank you that you have had mercy upon us. May we, as that old saying goes, go out into this world today showing as one beggar showing another where we found food. We have no right to lord it over anyone. We were once in that ugly place by our own behavior. And you had mercy on us in that spirit with love and hearts of compassion. May we be motivated as your ambassadors to bring the light into the darkness. Amen.